0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got what? to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about Quince, because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello,
1: everyone. And welcome to Forever 35. Um, We are on vacation this week. Taking a little break. Taking a pause. And so we're re-airing some of our fave eps. Oh boy. (laughs) And this episode is uh, episode 54, The Joy of Cooking with Samin Nostrat. It originally aired last January.
0: And what a gift it was to get to talk to Samin.
1: Such a gift.
0: Such mega fans over here. Yeah, we love her. Such a delight. We talked about hair removal. Mm -hmm. We talked about her Netflix show. Yeah cookbooks we
1: talked about cooking in general how can you not and then you and I also before we talked to Samin we talked about stuff that we had been cooking
0: I just want to say Samin's buttermilk chicken recipe if you are a person who enjoys eating chicken skin like I am best chicken skin you're ever gonna eat wow I wish I'd sorry you're wish a vegetarian had some before I became a vegetarian yeah I realized that was probably very <sighs> a very oh, unappealing message well. to many people <laughs> out there anyway enjoy the episode. Dory, welcome to this podcast called Forever 35. It's a podcast about the things we do to take care of yourselves yourselves ourselves ourselves did I botch this well look you know that I'm Kate Spencer and I'm Dory Shafrir and we're not experts but we are two friends who like to talk
1: a lot about serums hello hello it's our second episode of the new year and you know it, it, smells smells fresh. Fresh. it is basically our one year anniversary oh
0: happy anniversary to you thank you and to you wow we did it we did what's the thing you get each other on your first year anniversary is it wood I, I it's can't paper. remember Oh, well, we made these documents, the episode documents. I printed them out for us. We did. That's my present to you. <laughs> um,
1: the only reason I know it's, I think, I think it's paper is because my mom got us this like cutout thing, piece of art that says like
0: Hollywood on it. It's for your, for cute. you and Matt?
1: Yeah, it's cute. That's sweet. Yeah, it was sweet. Oh,
0: Dory's mom coming through. I mean, how are you doing, Kate? Well... I mean, I'm coming out of a norovirus experience with my family, uh, which I don't want to go into too much detail about. Uh, We've already got... We can it.
1: let everyone imagine.
0: Imagine what comes out of a <laughs> five-year-old who has norovirus <laughs> and just just picture that for days uh, and then picture it going away and coming back uh, and picture it in a bed uh, a couple times. So there you go. Uh, that was fine, though. You know what, though? It's... I'm... okay. This sounds very selfish, but I have not gotten it mm-hmm. and... One, that makes it, I can still take care of my kids. So that's good. And two, I'm a phobic about throwing up. I hate it so much. Ugh. So I'm so relieved and I've had it last year. I've had it the year before. Oh, God. Like I always get it. So um, so right now I'm feeling good. I haven't shaved my armpits in over a month. How is that going? It's awesome. But I, I think I mentioned this because I have mentioned on previous episodes that I'm like a compulsive everyday armpit shaver. When we talked about our shower routines, Mm -hmm. that's the first thing I do when I get in the shower. Mm -hmm. And I, look, I know it's not revolutionary to not shave your armpits. People have been doing it for years. Women have been not shaving them for years. But for me, I'm kind of just testing out the boundaries of my own internalized patriarchy and misogyny. (laughs) I think that's a great thing to and do in 2019. Yeah. Um, Dory. before I hear about your life, I just wanted to say a lot of people have reached out to ask for an update on my getting jacked progress. So I wanted to give a very honest update. Which I'm ready for it. Is that it's kind of been a bust. Oh. In that, you know, I injured my back earlier this year. Yeah. and Do you know how? Literally, I sat down in a yoga class. And I was like, Ow, oh, God. I just pulled my back muscle. And then from that moment, it has hurt. And it was really hurting a lot this past month. Yeah. So I've kind of been taking it easy. And I don't think I've gotten more jacked in the past six months since I made my jacked commitment. I, mm. I feel like I'm a bit of a letdown here. But I will say that I have been working really hard on helping my back to feel better. Yeah. And that is going well. Good. So anyway, how are you, Dory?
1: Well, you know, i had been on a big
0: mystery kick for a long time. Did it
1: switch? And I am still actually, the book I'm currently reading is a detective novel. However, I was starting to feel like, you know, I do really like contemporary literary fiction. And I was starting to feel like I was just ignoring it. Ooh. And so I was like, let's get back into it. So I read The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. Did you love it? Holy shit. Whoa. I cried. Oh God. It I it this book is so good.
0: Wow. I can't even tell you. Your face right now. It's the, like blown away.
1: I like, I, I like want to read it again.
0: Wow. The great believers. Yeah.
1: So it takes place in Chicago. Well, one part of the book, it it alternates between 1985 and 2015. So the 1985 sections are set in Chicago. um, And it's about a group of gay men. And, um, you know, it opened one of them, one of their friends has just died of AIDS, they're all dying of AIDS. Um, And it goes through like the AIDS crisis of the mid 80s and early 90s. And then the 2015 section is focused on the sister of the guy who dies of AIDS at the very beginning of the book. Do we need to? Are these spoilers? These for the are not book? spoilers. Okay, okay. This 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 all comes out in the first like ten pages okay, of the book. Great. Um, uh, uh, this book, I just uh, it's it's so good.
0: I'm going to add it to my list.
1: It's so good. So I read that, and then I read a book called Warlight, and I'm going to mangle his name, but it's by Michael. <laughs> we'll
0: we'll He's, find out
1: how to say that. I believe he is of South African origin, but he lives in Toronto now. And I also, that book was really weird and intense. And I also really liked it. And that book is about a young, a boy, a teenager whose parents um, move to Singapore. It takes place right after World War II. His parents moved to Singapore, and he and his sister are looked after by a sort of mysterious man who lives upstairs who lived upstairs from them. And it takes place in London. And the man is nicknamed The Moth. And that book I can't say anything else about because there are like a thousand spoilers a page. Ooh. But it's really good. And tell us the name of that one again. Warlight. Warlight. Okay. So those both came out in 2018. And you know, made various like best of lists. Really like both of them. And then I have also kind of simultaneously been reading um, the Tana French books, which she wrote the series called The Dublin Murder Squad. (laughs) This sounds like the Dory I know. (laughs) Dublin Murder Squad? Yeah. So So every book is it focuses on a different detective in the in the Dublin murder squad they're kind of like they're great like some of them are women detectives some of them are men all the detectives are you know troubled and like oh. they botch the case because of their inner demons oh, I, love it. I you love know it. just like all and they're really really well written and they take place in Dublin obviously and um yeah so I and I've but I've been taking them out of the library so I've been reading them sort of out of order depending on like what's available I'm reading book four right now so, yeah, it's been a it's been a real journey. Are you me. reading
0: out loud for your son to hear?
1: I am not, but I'm <laughs> hoping he just absorbs <laughs> absorbs the it words all. just
0: go right in mm-hmm.
1: yeah. um, no, I don't listen to books.
0: I only do just because my time is so tight, yeah, and like there's a lot of just you know like i walked the kids to school and then when i walk home i'm like well i just could take 10 minutes on my book here right
1: well i've been reading before i go to bed Mm. and then i also have been waking up in the middle of the night so that's the nice thing about the kindle you can just grab the kindle and read you know a little bit and not wake up your your snoozing partner
0: yeah though the kindle is perfect for that i gotta say
1: but also i have been watching the marie kondo show have you learned anything I've learned that a lot of people have the same problems.
0: I, I haven't watched it yet. We we already have had someone call in and ask for our thoughts on it, which I'm excited to address. So I've
1: only watched two episodes. I watched. We watched. I've been, I've been watching it with Matt because you know we're we're trying to purge. We thought it would be a good thing to watch together, and
0: you're and you're trying to spend time together doing. And the we're same trying activities. to spend time
1: together. So we watched the first episode, which. Apologies if anyone knows this couple, but I found them so annoying that it was like a little hard to watch because I wasn't really rooting for them. You oh, know what no. I mean? Oh,
0: That's not, that's the worst kind. You always they want to be They were rooting. annoying.
1: Yeah. And I was like, why would this be the first episode? Like
0: bury it in the fourth episode.
1: Um, and then we <laughs> watched, then we watched another episode of a couple that's getting ready for a baby.
0: Oh, so you could relate to that couple. Yes.
1: So yeah, so they've just been kind of they were they were kind of inspiring this couple that yeah is about to have a baby, especially because the the male partner collected sneakers and oh. he had over one hundred and fifty oh. pairs of sneakers. Oh boy,
0: how many of those did he end up getting rid of with Marie Kondo? Like over a hundred. <gasps> yeah at the end of the
1: show they said he said he had whittled it down to 45
0: which is still an obscene amount of sneakers but i know when you're a sneaker yes. head
1: yes and you know so many of them were ones he had like never worn and still in their they were all still in their boxes and,
2: wow yeah
1: so
0: matt was like oh <laughs>
1: um yeah so you know we're doing good you're getting there yeah we're getting there TikTok goes the baby clock i'm gonna pretend you didn't say that (laughs) i just made that up and we're just gonna move on (laughs) okay i did just say that (sighs) that was terrible let's take a little break
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
2: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your healthcare.
1: That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling
0: into summer. So, Kate, let's talk about cooking as self-care, Dory.
1: Let's do it. I mean, just jump in. We were kind of inspired to do this because we are talking to Samin Nosrat later in the episode. Oh
0: my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, But it's also something we've just been thinking about. So, I have to say, in the last month, I have had some really positive cooking moments thanks to Samin and Mm. her recipes. Mm so it's kind of changed things a little bit for me because cooking is a panic-inspiring ins- ins- experience for me. Mm, inducing? Inducing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about our own
1: experiences with cooking and then also discuss some of our favorite go-to recipes. And all
0: of these will be listed on our website. Yes. So if you hear one mentioned and you're like, what do I, where is it I want to make that bean dip? <laughs> Neither of us have a bean dip. No. Nope. But if you hear something, forever35podcast.com.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy cooking and baking. I know. But I gradually kind of stopped doing it when I got so sick during my first trimester. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't been doing a ton of cooking before that anyway, because our kitchen was not really conducive to cooking. Um, It's very small. And as I've complained about before, (laughs) it did not have a dishwasher, which, you know, you start cooking and you turn around and you you've used like Ugh. half the pots of pans and like, it's just a total disaster. And so since we, but since we've gotten a dishwasher, it's been better. And also they redid our countertops and now they're a little deeper. And so have you, we have more room. It's just like a better place
0: to cook. And the so, timing all kind of worked out and that that all happened yes, in your second trimester. In my
1: second trimester when I've been feeling better and I definitely went through a few weeks where I felt like I was just ordering takeout a lot and like, that doesn't feel great. Um, and it's also tough because Matt usually gets home so late that we're not eating together. You know, now I need to eat by like six. Oh yeah. (laughs) Let's be honest. Um, and so I was just cooking. I was, you know, cooking for myself, but not cooking. So I was like, you know what? I need to get back into it. Um, So I made some, I made this great pasta dish that I found on Bon Appetit's website. Is that what you just ate in front of us for lunch? I was like, I want to make a kind of like a vat of something Mm, and have leftovers. And so I made this um, sausage greens and bean like rigatoni recipe that was really good um, that I will link to as well. And... You know, I also made dinner on New Year's. What did you
0: cook? I cooked a beef tenderloin. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, you're so calm and confident about cooking.
1: Oh, thanks. Like it's, it,
0: it's so um, counterintuitive to what I feel. Like it's, it's. is that the word <gasps> well, I'm looking for? Well, it's funny
1: because I feel like in, our, in my house, I am not, like Matt is the better cook. Matt is actually a, a very good cook and like gets food and gets flavor, flavor yeah. and seasoning in a way that I just don't like if if a recipe is like add a quarter teaspoon of cumin I will add it but Matt will be like oh this needs cumin oh yeah I could never do, you know I what I don't mean that. yeah <laughs> um, so he's just a better instinctive cook but has not
0: really had the time or the energy to do it so but you follow recipes well you make interesting things you feel confident in the kitchen. Like you made those Alison Roman. cookies. I feel
1: like I also, now that I've been doing it, you know, it does, it takes practice. And the more that you do it, the more you learn like, Oh, this looks like it's, this is good. This is getting overcooked. This isn't done. This needs more salt. This, you know what I mean? Like you do start kind of picking that stuff up.
0: Were you ever a vegetarian?
1: Um, no, but there was like a very long period where I didn't eat red meat.
0: I was a vegetarian for six years mm-hmm. and you just mentioning things being overcooked. I have such like anxiety about meat cooking still. Like I'm always worried it's undercooked. So I overcook everything. Do you have an instant read thermometer? I have a m- digital meat thermometer. I don't know if it's instant yeah, read. Yeah,
1: digital digital should be but fine. But I do
0: use that, but I'm always Googling like meat cooking times. But still, I'm always worried like this meat's undercooked. I'm poisoning everyone. Oh, Just wanted to, but you don't have...
1: I don't have that. I don't have like really germ or I guess food poisoning phobias. Um, Well, you've
0: mentioned your mom just made you eat everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mom would eat like raw hamburger meat. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, we we were sanitary sort of, but like (laughs) whatever. Anyway, so here here are some of my, my faves. There is a sweet and sour chicken thighs recipe that I found on Epicurious several years ago that is so good. It's not like sweet and sour chicken from like a Chinese restaurant, like a Chinese American restaurant. It's sort of like Moroccan Mm. and it has carrots and onions. And I usually make it over either couscous or it's actually really good with roasted cauliflower.
0: Yum.
1: Yeah, it's it's delicious. Is it
0: easy? It's
1: super easy. Okay, I might try it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, another one of my favorites is from a restaurant called Frankie's in New York. It's an Italian restaurant there. They have a cookbook that is really great. And they have a cavatelli with sausage and sage browned butter. That
0: sounds so good. That is beyond.
1: Oh. It is so good. It's so delicious. Um, this one you have to like watch or you'll burn. You'll burn the butter. You'll burn the sage. But otherwise, it's easy. And they, you can also make a vegetarian version that they serve in the restaurant with cauliflower. So instead of sausage, a little like roast cauliflower. Cauliflower
0: really is kind of the hero of foods these days.
1: Truly. I mean, it makes you gassy, but... Does it? Yes. It's
0: oh. in that it's in the cabbage family. Oh, well, you know, it's a small price to pay.
1: That's what I say.
0: I have a cauliflower recipe coming up. Oh, good. Get ready to fart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love a veggie frittata. I'm reading your recipe here. This sounds delish. But yeah. This is all just like dory throwing it together yeah i mean you can google a frittata
1: recipe they're all kind of the same but frittatas are so easy to make and they're so great to have for leftovers like there would be times when i would like make a frittata and then i'd cut it into slices put wrap them in tin foil and just like every morning just heat one up and then you have breakfast look at you meal planning that was when i was meal planning um you can really use almost any vegetables you have on hand like Kale, spinach, mushrooms, onion, sweet potato, peppers, broccoli. Saute the veggies first. You saute the veggies first. Then you add the egg and the cheese to the pan. Um, I usually, I like uh, whisk the egg and the cheese together. Um, And then you cook it on the stove until the edges start to bubble. And then you put it in a 450 degree oven until the top starts to brown, which is usually just like... A few minutes, and we're
0: doing this in a cast iron skillet.
1: You can do it in a cast iron, any oven proof skillet. Okay. You do not want to make it in a nonstick. No, problem. that would be bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, any any other oven proof skillet is is great. And you can, you know, if you if you want to make it non veggie, you could also put in like sausage or ham, mm, you know, bacon. Yeah, mm. anything. Um, Okay, this is another one uh, like. I went through this old binder that I have with like recipes that I'd printed out and put in like plastic sheets. You oh, know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and it really brought me back because a lot of these were recipes that I used to make when I still lived in New York. So a lot of these are like hearty winter recipes, mm. including this one, a chickpea vegetable soup with Parmesan, rosemary, and lemon.
0: That sounds so good. I
1: really think this is like the perfect winter
0: soup. It's, it's hearty. It's delicious. I love rosemary. This sounds delicious. A lemon, lemon and chickpea also. Mm,
1: It's lemons. You use some lemon zest. Um, And you also cook with the rind of the Parmesan.
0: A great cooking trick. Yeah. It adds so
1: much flavor. Yes. And you
0: can freeze them. Like when you've used up a Parmesan rind, you can freeze them and then just bust them out when you're making a soup. When you're making your chickpea vegetable soup. Um, Here's
1: another good hearty winter dish baked quinoa with spinach and cheese.
0: This sounds really tasty. I've never heard of a recipe like this. This is
1: really good. So I was on a big like superfoods kick a few years ago and I made a lot of this casserole and it's a great winter dish and it makes a lot of leftovers. Um, If you're, you know, if you live alone and you make it in a big casserole dish, (laughs) um, and this was a recipe. Actually, this one and the chickpea soup were both from the New York Times. And then this, there's a spinach and cheese strata that I, it's kind of like the naughty cousin of the quinoa casserole Ooh. because the quinoa one is like quinoa and right. ostensibly healthy. And this is sort of like rich and delicious. Um, I've made it for brunch a couple times and it's always a big hit. Okay. And that's a smitten kitchen recipe. S- smitten kitchen. and I mean. The best. Come on. Okay. Here's another just fave that isn't like a specific recipe, but this is how I make it. Soft scrambled
0: eggs. Teach us the way story. Okay. First of all, I think most people eat their eggs way too overdone. Do you remember that you and Jenny Han talked about Your like secret to scrambling eggs when we interviewed that's Right. And she had the same
1: secret that you have. So you just whisk together eggs salt eggs salt and I I like with a dash of milk. And if you want to make them extra rich, you can add an extra
0: yolk or two. Yes, and this really like enhances the flavor. I learned this from when you both spoke about it.
1: And then you use a nonstick pan and you cook it over extremely low heat for around 10 minutes. You use like a rubber spatula so to this kind this requires
0: of patience.
1: Patience. Yes. You do not want these like diner eggs that are just like thrown on a hot griddle. You know what I mean? That's like, how I make so, eggs. Yeah. yeah. So yes. you... And at first, like for the first few minutes, you'll be like, these are not even cooking. But they are. Um, and you need to use a rubber spatula because you want to be very gentle with them. And then for the last minute, you can remove the eggs from the heat and add in a pat of uh, butter.
0: Oh, Dory. Mm.
1: It's like so rich and indulgent. sounds good. Um, they're also nice to, it's also nice to put some chives on top. Sure. Some chopped chives. I like these eggs runny, super soft, preferably served with buttered toast, like on top of buttered, buttered toast. By runny, do you mean like... Wet? No, no, no. Just like very sort soft. Of, yeah, i I was gonna use the word gluey, but that's so <laughs> unappetizing. But it's like the it's I, I'm having trouble describing the consistency because it's not that they're not cooked, but they're soft. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, they're fluffy. They're n- no. not even really fluffy. They're just soft. They're soft. They're so good. And I'm like, like as scrambled I was, eggs as for I dinner. Was, as I was typing this out last night, I was like, oh, now I really want some soft scrambled eggs. Like I almost made some. You're watching
0: your face as you were describing them, <laughs> you like almost went into kind of like a euphoric space. <laughs>
1: They're so good. Okay. So here, this last recipe. My mom made me a little cookbook a few years ago.
0: I love the mom made cookbook.
1: With her like go-to home cooking recipe. A treasure. A true treasure. She put a picture of me on the front from when I was like two years old. I'm wearing Tigger sunglasses. Come on. And I'm like stirring something. <laughs> I know. I've always liked to cook. What can I say? Okay, so she included this recipe for flank steak that came from my grandmother. My grandmother, bless her soul that's her dead soul I Was not exactly known for her culinary talents
0: i love this recipe so much
1: here's the recipe <laughs> the ingredients are one flank steak and half a bottle of wishbone italian dressing <laughs> so good instructions marinate overnight or all day in a non-metallic container Broil or barbecue on each side for approximately five to ten minutes. Slice thinly against the cream. And it's good? It
0: is good. I mean, it turns out wishbone Italian dressing is a a pretty good marinade. Yeah, love a dressing marinade. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. Half a bottle of dressing and a steak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can't go wrong. Also, flank steak is such a like, it's a cheap cut of steak. I feel like it's like hard to like fuck it up. Especially if you're broiling it. I don't know. Or maybe like we just – when I was growing up, we just ate our meat too well done. <laughs> <sighs> so there you have it. Oh, boy. Oh,
0: boy. What about you, Kate? Well, as I just kind of ranted, cooking gives me a lot of anxiety. And and I, as I was like writing out my recipes, I, I, I was revisiting a lot of these. And I, they're all recipes I love. But I feel like having kids has kind of put a damper on what I think could be like a – Uh, a better relationship with cooking right because you know I have tried very hard to raise curious open-minded eaters but they've turned into picky pains in the asses and you know like these recipes that I have which I'm excited to share like they're lovely but most of them don't work for us for meals right now and I I get very defensive because a Mm. lot of times uh, parents talking about what their kids eat there's there's a and I, here's the thing. I know this because I've done it because when my kids oh. were young, they would be like eating avocado and beans and like, I was like, well, my kid loves hummus. And like, you know, like, <laughs> and I was like, all you have to do is just like, get, like, let them try everything and like eat what you eat. And then like your kids develop their own palates and right. they decide they just want hot dogs. Or like I have one kid who doesn't like pizza with sauce. Who knows why? Look, my husband likes a white pizza. Okay. Well, they can go they can eat together. out together. <laughs> okay. So anyway, here's my list. So the first thing is another recipe that's like a standard. My mom used to make it for the day after Christmas. It's from a Jane Brody cookbook, a high-carbohydrate cookbook, which is the most 80s thing that could ever exist. And I actually have since bought the cookbook. um, A high-carbohydrate. It's (laughs) high-carbohydrate. But it's this fantastic lentil and brown rice cookbook. I have the recipe listed. Um, It's so easy. It's so good. It's very warming. It's a lentil soup. Yes, but with brown rice. So it's oh, very, it's almost like a stew and um, it's tomato based. I use chicken stock, but when I was vegetarian, I would use vegetable stock. And I like this served with like a ton of good grated Parmesan cheese. Mm. Super easy. Um, next on my list is the white mushroom lasagna mm. I made for Christmas, a smitten so kitchen good. recipe that I think she based off of an. Ina Garten, Ina Garten? Ina Garten. Excuse me, Ina, sorry. Sorry, Jeffrey. Um, One of her recipes, but it's a very, it was very easy to make. I made it two days in advance and it was delicious. It was so good. Really great, simple mushroom lasagna with no tomato sauce. So another recipe I love is a Gwyneth Paltrow recipe. Mm -hmm. Now look. I have Gwyneth's first cookbook. Her cookbooks, I gotta say, are good.
1: She has a great salmon recipe in that cookbook Mm -hmm.
0: too. And a great, there's a great um, sweet potato turkey black bean chili recipe floating around. Ooh. But anyway, I make this recipe, and every time I do, people go nuts for it. It's roasted cauliflower and chickpeas in this very simple mustard mm. vinaigrette with parsley. It's so good. People love it, and it's so easy to make. So I, I have that linked. Now, I have the privilege and honor of being. Very close friends with a personally personal chef. Oh, my friend oh, Elena really? is a trained chef. Elena, hi! I love you. And whenever we get together, um, Elena and Alice in New York. But when my girlfriends from college get together, we force Elena to cook for us and Genius. then send us the recipes. And so she has recommended Pamela Salzman's recipes. Who to is us. Pamela Salzman? A cook lady on the internet. I don't okay. even really
2: know. She's All got right. a
0: cookbook. Okay. Um, but I've made a bunch of. Uh, some of her recipes, per my friend Elena's recommendations, and they're great. So this was a vegetarian antipasto salad that I made for Christmas dinner, and I loved it. And I don't like to eat next day salad. Mm. Like it's a little too wet and slimy. Mm -hmm. I ate this next day. It's so good. It's a great choice for vegetarians. You could leave out the cheese, make it vegan friendly. Um, Another recommendation from my old friend Elena is a delicious farro and pistachio Mm. salad Mm. with raisins.
1: It sounds really good. Also,
0: a great kind of a side dish. Yeah. And then I'm going to circle back to another Pamela Salzman recipe, again from my friend Elena. You gotta know Elena, everybody. She's <laughs> such a good cook. And she made this for our group of friends. We were staying together in a house in Portland, Oregon for a baby. Was it a baby shower, bachelorette? One of those things. And it's a baked oatmeal and berry recipe ooh. that she makes with coconut milk ooh that sounds delicious oh my God.
1: so good what kind of berries does she use
0: she was kind of like whatever you know like oh, the, sure. the confidence of someone yes. who can just say whatever <laughs> when you're asking for a recipe but you could you really could do like blueberries raspberry strawberry whatever you kind of have um so delicious, so warming, like a really great winter breakfast recipe that I think you could also make like for a brunch. Right, So good. Um, so I have, because I have Instagrammed a lot about making my own tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. When my dad was visiting, I tricked him and I served rouse <laughs> and he did not notice the difference. <laughs> my dad is half Italian and very sassy about it. Um, and I, people have asked what my recipe is for making tomato sauce. I just throw it together out of my brain, but I found one that's somewhat similar. That's very, very basic. And I found the more basic when it comes to tomato sauce, the better. Mm. And I will tell you because currently I have children who pick out the onions out of foods. I now just use onion and garlic powder. So their tomato sauce is like chunk free and that works. And then lastly, the recipe that I included on my list is from Weelicious.com. Are you familiar with Weelicious? Oh, I am not. So Weelicious is a website created by a lady whose name I forget because I just call her the Weelicious lady, but it's, it's food that is family friendly and pretty easy to make. And I have her cookbook and she has this pulled pork crock pot recipe that is like the easiest and best pulled pork I've ever had in my Mm. life. And you literally just like put some spices together, throw that on a big slab of pork butt, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then dump a jar of salsa on it. Mm. And it makes such good pulled pork.
1: You know, I have a pulled pork recipe as well from Martha Stewart that involves ketchup.
0: Oh, a se- ketchup is often a secret ingredient mm-hmm. in things.
1: And you know what? Is it's it good? Real good. Yeah.
0: Maybe I'll make it for you. That sounds great. I would 100% eat that. Okay. Um, But Wheelicious is a great site if you are looking for family-friendly food. Like my kids will eat a lot of the stuff I, I make on from her website. Well, So there we Kate, have it.
1: I mean... Well, look, I I want you to have the relationship with cooking that you want to have.
0: I want it to be like simple, wholesome, like Samin Nosrat's focaccia recipe, which Mm, I'm obsessed with. Which is so good. Also made that on Christmas. Yeah, you sure did.
1: Yeah, I did. We're we're just going to read this little bio in case there's like the one person who listens to Forever 35 who hasn't heard of you, but I find that that's... (laughs) Probably I think this unlikely. audience is
0: on board. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, all right. Samin Nosrat is a cook, teacher, and author of the James Beard Award-winning New York Times bestseller, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. She is an Eat columnist at the New York Times Magazine and the host and an executive producer of the Netflix original documentary series based on her book. She lives, cooks, gardens, and laughs in Berkeley, California. <laughs>
0: Welcome, Samin. We are oh, so excited oh, to have you. Thank you. It's a life dream. Life dream come true
2: right now. <laughs> Look,
0: I have made your focaccia two times in the last month. And I've oh. eaten it. Dory ate it at Christmas. <laughs> it's delicious. It's changed my oh, life. It's changed yay. my life. Like, truly. Yeah. Oh, uh, Okay, I'm excited.
2: You guys, it's really you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, I'm going to
0: stop saying that. I'm um, just so
1: excited. <laughs> Samin, we have so many things we want to talk to you about, but we would love to just start with something we know you talk about all the time, but cooking. What got you interested in cooking?
2: Eating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's the gateway for everyone. And so I definitely didn't grow up cooking. Um, My mom, I think, you know, I think subliminally she just wanted her kids to study and be good at their work. And so she never really, it wasn't, the kitchen wasn't a place where she wasn't dragging us in there to make Mm. us do stuff, except for when there were the, like the rare, extremely labor intensive things where my brothers and I had to like peel fava beans or peel like a pile of eggplant or something like that. But she wanted us to do our homework. So it was more that I was interested in eating and um, my, you know, my family's from Iran and I would say the main way that my mom shared our culture with us was through our food. And so we had dinner at the table with our family every night, often our extended family, and she took us shopping all across San Diego to look for just the right ingredients that reminded her of the taste of Iran. So I would say the the foundation for having an interest in cooking was laid over the course of many years. Mm-hmm. And then um And she kind and of modeled
1: did, that for you.
2: She totally did, yeah. And the importance of, you know, and she had a lot of opinions about food. (laughs) Well, we saw
1: that on uh, on your show. (laughs) (laughs) And, and
2: um, And so I learned a lot of that stuff from her. And in a way, you know, what's funny is that even though I had no formal culinary education or even really like any sort of interest beyond sort of everyday food, when I ended up in a kitchen, I, I felt, and certainly now looking back, I really was really well prepared for it in certain ways because, because of my mom, because she did sort of teach us about herbs and teach us about just the importance of whole, you know, whole foods and ingredient use, like using the whole bird, using the whole herb and all that kind of stuff. But that was just sort of part of our life. It wasn't anything in particular that I was drawn to. And then I had this sort of um, serendipitous meal at Chez Panisse, and that led me to beg for a job bussing tables. And I was in college studying writing. I wanted to be a poet. And I just needed a job. (laughs) And as I was getting closer to graduation and realizing that English majors probably like have to get a job doing something like advertising or something. I don't even know what, (laughs) like some nine to five job in an office. And that started to, you know, terrify me at the same time. I was becoming so inspired and enchanted by what was happening in the kitchen at Chez Panisse. So I started begging them to teach me how to cook. And, but it was not, there was not like in, in many things in my life, I have like created a long-term plan and goals. And this was just something that happened to me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow um, did you I, I'm, I'm interested in talking a little bit more about your mom if that's okay yeah, um, did was cooking a form of self care for her
2: I don't think so um, I think she was able to find pleasure in it mm-hmm. I think you know my, my parents lives were really interrupted when they had to leave Iran right. my mom was she was a, like an English professor at the Naval Academy there at wow. the Military Academy, and that's how where she met my dad. And then she actually had wanted to study to be a doctor, but I, I don't know, something had interrupted her studies. And so, and then on top of that, coming to the States, and like I had an older sister at the time, and so they had a, a kid, and there was just a lot. And I don't even think that she was particularly, she grew up particularly interested in cooking. I think it just became a way for her to ensure that her kids would be really, really immersed in their culture. Right. And, you know, like she grew up on a farm. Well, she grew up in the city, but she spent all of her free time at the family farm in the north of Iran. And so I think that the tastes of farm fresh food were, you know, the like for her, the tastes of happiness and freedom and joy. And so um, that was what she sought out for us. And this was, you know, in the early 80s in San Diego. So, it was pretty much before – I don't remember if there were any farmer's markets there. So she would, like, drive all the way across town to go to the hippie co-ops. Wow. And she was really resourceful finding, you know, where she could find the freshest produce. And and at that time also often it was organic produce. And I don't think she was so drawn to the label organic. It was just that that was what tasted like what she had grown up eating. Mm-hmm. And so – you know, I, I I think that she was able to derive pleasure. And also my mom, like me, likes a lot of control. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think, like, not having us in the kitchen and letting it be her way right. and, you know, that stuff, I think she did come to probably derive some pleasure. But, you know, she didn't have a full-time job outside the home. But, like, that, raising three kids in the house and running a household is a lot of work. And so that was in a lot of ways, her job. I think in our culture and maybe in, in more, in more than just Iranian immigrant culture, I have thought a lot about this, especially since I started listening to this show is like what, what that, that self care, the idea of like doing anything nice for yourself mm. seemed superfluous because right. it wasn't like crucial to everyday existence. And so, um, there you know, she had her own, now I'm just answering other questions that you no, haven't please. asked yet, but <laughs> <laughs> she definitely had her own things. Like she, ha- she, there were certain red lipsticks that she really loved. There is like Chanel number no. five that were, she allowed these like little luxuries to herself, you know, but, um, but I wouldn't, I don't think cooking was really a form of self care for her. I think it was her work.
0: Oh, That's beautiful. And, and and a really interesting, I think, of carrying on just bringing something with her after immigrating to America is something I think a lot of families do through food.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, too. And I've thought a lot of I, I one day I'm like, I'm going to write a paper about this one day <laughs> because I do think like in my family, the greatest compliment at any time was that a dish or an ingredient tasted like Iran, like it mm. tasted like home. And I didn't ever really understand what that meant until after I started cooking at Chez Panisse. And one day I brought these, like, really beautiful, perfect citrus fruits. These They're called quichus. They're these little, like, I don't know um, – Ping pong sized, ping pong ball sized um, tangerines, like little citrus fruits, home, and they're really prized at Chez Panisse. They're like we wait all year long in, in, in Berkeley for the kishus to arrive, <laughs> and so and they're so delicious, and they're just like these tiny little things that bring joy to anybody because it's like seems like a miracle that a fruit that little could exist, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they taste really good, so I was really excited to bring them home for my mom and my grandma, my aunts. And when they opened it and they tasted one, they were like, oh, this tastes like home. And I realized, mm. oh, they just like the stuff that tastes good. <laughs> right. You know, like, like tasting like home is just tasting good. So, and as I've, you know, gone on to meet other friends from other immigrant cultures, I realized everyone's after that and sort of everyone's always trying to make do. And that has, that's what's led to what I think is really interesting. There's all these sort of like um, this food writer, Soleho calls it assimilation cuisine, where people use the ingredients that are on hand, like at grocery stores, in America, to try to recreate the dishes and the tastes of the foods at home, and um, it's led to a lot of really interesting <laughs> kinds of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's really—I am really fascinated by that because I do think taste—you know—our senses are so fundamental, and I think it's where a lot of memory lives. A lot of memories mm-hmm. triggered by our senses. And so it seems it seems pretty natural that we would be after the taste or the smell or the you know feeling of a place,
0: which I think on your show uh, that 's what brings me so much joy watching yeah. it is like watching you become so moved by a taste or a smell or a texture it It winnows cooking and food down to something very simple, where for me, I get very overwhelmed by the thought of cooking. It feels very scary and like anxiety inducing. And I'm, I'm sorry. No, but it's, but I'm telling you, I made the buttermilk chicken recipe also. And you did? yes. And it was so, first of all, it's the best chicken I've ever made, but it was so simple and done so, like the, I don't know how to describe it, but it, but the recipes of yours that I've cooked makes me like, it brings a feeling of love and joy into the cooking that when I look at another recipe, that's so full of different ingredients and different ways to do things, I get very overwhelmed and panicked. And you've, fe- oh. I feel like you've taken the panic out of cooking, at least for me. That's this my is goal. I mean, that but-
2: makes me feel so good. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Listen. It's funny. Um, one of my friend's moms, I sometimes go cook with my friend and her mom and they're they're originally their her mom's parents were from Italy and so they're they're really great cooks they're not you know amateurs by any mean they're just wonderful home cooks who've grown up cooking over the course of many generations and recently my friend told me after i left that her mom turned to her and said, oh, when I cook with Samin, it feels like cooking with my own mom. And I was like, oh, I love that. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) I just kind of want to be like the person holding your hand because I, I, I totally, A, I still mess up all the time, and B, I completely remember the feeling of being really intimidated. And for me, if it's not cooking, there's many other things I am a beginner at. So I'm very familiar with the feeling of having no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And I just try to relate to that because if I'm your teacher, if I'm trying to like help you do something, I want to be really conscientious that a lot of people feel that way, you know? And the tricky thing is to figure out how to do it where you're not um, condescending to people. Mm. Also, because if I want to reach a wide range of people, some other people might know what they're doing. So it's, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey to find my voice, you know?
0: What, what is some advice you give to people who do, uh, you know, find themselves feeling panicked or overwhelmed at the prospect of cooking or cooking meals for their families? What, what are some kind of easy steps you advise people on to get them comfortable and, and find the enjoyment in food and cooking?
2: Well, I think, I think cooking as, as, as a thing in our culture is a really complicated, um, it's just a complicated thing because cooking and food, it it reaches across (laughs) this huge range of, you know, it it encompasses so much, right? So cooking can be called what you do at home when you come home from a day of work and you're just heating something up for your kids, but it also is the same term that we use for like five-star chefs in the kitchen. And so (laughs) I think because there's a lack of... um, you know, language really, or like a limited vocabulary that we have, we lump all of these things together. And so it's easy for beginners or people who are not even, just not even beginner, but not professional to be comparing themselves all the time to professionals. So at some point, like dinner, (laughs) you know, like went from being like, I don't know, a bowl of rice with an egg, like an acceptable dinner went from being like the most simple thing, toast and scrambled eggs <laughs> to having to suddenly be three courses or something, because in, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the internet and the rise of celebrity chefs and a new kind of cooking TV that's so like focused on sort of com- competition. And, um, and so, and certainly Instagram where like, it's all about sort of one upping or not, not necessarily one upping, but showing the beautiful creation that you've made, which, I think in cooking and in many other things can make us all feel less than. So, I think the first thing you have to do <laughs> is give yourself a break mm. and just, you know, feel like you've done something when you've done anything. And sometimes that's the simplest possible thing. It's like opening a can of beans. Uh, and like I I don't know, I eat canned beans all the time and I like open them and then my friend was over here and I was like, "Do you want a taco? I have some beans." So I opened a can of beans and I put salt and cumin in it when I heated it. And she was like, "Why is that so good?" <laughs> and I was, "It's literally salt and cure, <laughs> like <laughs> you know." <laughs> and so, I, and then I was like, "Okay, I cooked something." You know, even for me because I'm so busy. Sometimes just, I think you have to take, you have to acknowledge every accomplishment. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Number two, I think you need to like, I think it's a prac, it's about a practice and. I get that for some people, there's just no joy in cooking, and I don't know what there is to be done about that, like if I can change that for you, but I do think most of us, anybody who likes eating, can at least find joy in tasting, and I think the more you taste and the more comfortable you become with the way food tastes like before and during and after it's cooked the more eventually you'll become comfortable with changing things along the way. Mm. I would also say, like, learn how to do three things, you know? Mm. Learn how to roast a vegetable, (laughs) how to saute some vegetables, how to make a pot of rice, like, how to roast a chicken. And I think there's a lot of combinations that you can make out of, out of just a handful of things. But I think, really, it's more, I think, psychological than anything, and I think it's about giving yourself a break and stop comparing yourselves because I recently was thinking I have so many beautiful cookbooks myself with like so many incredible dishes but like I never <laughs> I never make anything out of any of them. I mean even though they're so beautiful they're feats of incredible accomplishment but like on Tuesday night do I ever you know, put 90 herbs in something? No. Like, <laughs> like I'm lucky if there's one herb, right? Like, like,
1: well, yeah. and the and know. the emphasis becomes so much more on the visual than on how something actually tastes.
2: Which... Oh, totally. I always joke that my uh, memoir is going to be called Ugly But Good, which yes. is like this Italian saying for, like, you know, <laughs> rustic food. <laughs> like, everything I like is brown and mushy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that stuff is delicious. Yeah,
0: it
1: sounds really food.
0: good. Yeah. but yeah. um, good,
1: <laughs> Samin, between the book and the show, your life has changed quite substantially, oh I assume, in the last year or so.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, what's that been like for you? And how are you, how, are you how are you dealing with it? How are you finding moments to care for yourself? Yeah.
2: I have stretched myself so thin in the last year and I am looking forward to taking some time to Put myself back together
1: <laughs> what what is that gonna look like for you
2: um i I rent it preemptively before the show came out. I kind of had a feeling I mean nobody told me what would exactly what nobody could tell me what was going to happen, but I kind of anticipated that it would be a lot of attention so i um I was like i need to I, if I know myself and I will just continue doing everything everyone wants me to do until I'm I've perished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I pu- I put an end to it by like I basically tomorrow I leave and I'm going um I rented a cabin in the desert for 4 weeks. Ooh, and amazing. so yeah, yeah, and it's not totally a br- like vacation. I still have a bunch of reading and some writing I have to do, but it's just sort of like by being away I, people can't come pick my brain, you know, or whatever it is that they want from me. And I, you know, it's just going to be a nice, it's a nice clean break, which I think also will help me give, give me the time to figure out what I want to do next. Cause there's been basically a tidal wave coming at me of just, you know, offers and opportunities and come do this and come do that. And I'm sure some are really great and other ones are less great. And I started to get I couldn't even see straight through them all. So I just promised myself I would say I would just delay everything. No decision making until I until I have until I have a break and can come over and like be a human again. Yeah. And and I'm also I'm really excited. I'm gonna do I'm just gonna eat like one million vegetables. Because never in my life ever have I been a person who like Looks at a pizza and thinks anything but I want to eat that <laughs> and, <laughs> and in the past few weeks, it's reached a point like I think between all the travel and just the endless like dinners and stuff like that i i I don't know something's happening inside my body that doesn't feel very good, so I'm really excited to sort of just spend time by myself and with a few friends and eat a lot of soup and vegetables, mm. yeah <laughs> yeah and and like kind of re. Acclimate to humanity
0: and recalibrate. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. acclimate to yourself.
2: Exactly. Oh, and I, I uh, hopefully in the next year I'm going to get a dog. I think that'll be a yes. big yeah. <laughs> we both have dogs,
1: as as you probably yeah. know. Yeah. Mine was shaking <laughs> yes, around yeah, in the back. I mean. I we, had know, to, know. we had to banish Lucy from <laughs> my <her>. dog. <daughter.
2: laughs>
0: but it's in, it's interesting because success can be very stressful. And we don't, we don't often talk about that a lot because you want to be grateful for your success. You know, like there's such weird stigmas that come around, especially for women. Yes. And I think it's interesting to, to begin to, you know, to tap back into yourself and to take a break from saying yes to everything and just to kind of reevaluate what one wants to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I do feel so grateful because I do feel this kind of like incredible sense of possibility, like I can do whatever I want to do next, but I also feel a responsibility to, you know, to make good choices and, um, and also a responsibility to myself to make good (laughs) choices. And, um, and, and it is, it's interesting. I have a bunch of friends. I work in this amazing office with a bunch of other writers. It's sort of just like a non-formal office of many writers. (laughs) And, um, and a bunch of my friends and colleagues in that office have had kids over the last four or five years. And so watching my friends who have kids and the way that that affects their lives and their careers in positive and negative ways has been really interesting. And I don't have kids and I love kids so much. And I've had a lot of like sense of mourning over the fact that probably at this point, I may not have kids and like, and, and, but also because I don't have kids, I've been able to. You know, just seeing it so up close, I'm like, oh, I could have, I could not have had this like, you know, laser-like focus on my work mm-hmm. and doing this stuff if if there were um, a human for me to take care of, and so I understand like they're in and I've talked about it with a couple of my friends and one of them says it so beautifully. She's like, Oh, implicit in any success is a lot of sacrifice. And I think that's something it's easy to forget when you're looking on Instagram, you know, (laughs) or the bestseller list or whatever. Like you just are like, Oh, I'm so jealous or I am so envious or whatever. But you forget there's a lot of things a person has to say no to, or just can't say yes to on the way there. And, um, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, it's weird. It's super weird. It's also weird. Cause I feel like there are very few people who I can complain to about this because no one wants to hear you complain when you're like the most visible, <laughs> you know what I mean? You were achieved. Yeah. yeah. And here I am complaining to your entire audience.
1: <laughs> well, we did ask we did. and it's not yeah.
0: complaining. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older. interestingly in our facebook group there's a whole conversation right now about deciding whether or not to have children and what led people to make that choice and it's i I think that experience is very relatable to a lot of people yeah um Mm -hmm. and the sense of mourning and also the the weird feeling that like as as uh women uh we do age to a point where we can no longer, like, there is that, like, I find that very frustrating that, like, mm-hmm. you know, me, biological men are just floating around with sperm that lasts forever. <laughs> totally. And, like, <laughs> we, there is a difference um, in terms of figuring all that stuff out. And I think that can be really, really hard.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I think so, too. And I think um, it's, it just reminds me to be, like, really compassionate toward both myself and, you know, other people, and certainly my friends, who it's really easy to compare myself to when I see these people with these, like, beautiful families and all this kind of stuff. And then last night, for example, I went over to my friend's house, who I love so much, who works in my office. And uh, I hung out with her and her two kids, and I was like, well, I was so burnt out by the end of it. (laughs) I was like, you have to do this every night? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. And then you come back to work, like...
1: Smeen, I'm assuming you haven't had that much time to consume other culture in the last year, but when you do, what do you watch and read and listen to? Oh,
2: so much bad TV. Yes. <laughs> I did a whole, I did like, I basically watched every single one of the Netflix, like um, Christmas made for Netflix oh, Christmas movies. God. It was so bad. The Christmas so bad. switch
0: or the princess yeah, switch. I, can't I watched remember. Them,
2: I watched the Christmas switch, the Christmas calendar. I watched them all. <laughs> but, yeah. They're so comforting. Yeah. There's just something for me. And it's funny, actually, I, have become like, a, I'm obsessed with coziness.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so
2: like my couch, I have like all these sheepskins on my couch and I just love like making my living room really warm and like literally warm with the heater and <laughs> wrapping myself up in my like slippers and my warm things.
0: Can I ask you a little bit about some of the stuff you mentioned in your delightful cup of Joe beauty sure. uniform profile? Because you talked about thigh chafing. I've which, been waiting.
2: I'm so excited to talk
0: about this. Like, teach us all the things. Because I will say, body chafing is something that happens to so many of us. That is one of those like never discussed things. And you offered like really great product recommendations. Yeah.
2: Well, I so chafing was a kind of a foreign concept to me, other than like when I surf, I didn't I had not really been a big chafer because I live in Northern California, which is like always 68 degrees and you just always wear jeans and so and so I had not really had the experience until I spent like a humid times in New York City in the summer you know where you're wearing a dress and like Mm -hmm. schlepping eight blocks across town or something and so I was like this is horrific I was like this is horrific and I a a few summers ago I was there and I was uh, with my literary agent and i was like what if i was like what if i and i, I said something to her cuz she's really fit and her husband's really fit and i was staying with them and i said well that was really intense like i chafed all day and i was like you guys probably don't chafe And they were like, no, no, everybody chafes. And I was like, we should write a book called Everybody (laughs) Chafes.
1: How did she quietly
2: tell you not to do that? (laughs) (laughs) And so so I had tried everything. Like I had tried carrying around Vaseline. I had tried carrying around one of those sticks. And like nothing really ever worked. And then I was talking. I think you start talking about stuff with people. And then everyone has their secret thing. They just, it's like, maybe they're embarrassed or it's like, they don't want to bring up their chafe spray, you know?
0: Totally.
2: <laughs> so, so, um, I was talking about it with my friend Kara and she was like, oh, my sister is a salsa dancer and she has to basically lube herself up before she does a competition because there's so much happening underneath the outfit. <laughs> and mm. so they use this spray that triathletes use to get in and out of, in and out of, um, wetsuits and it's called skin slick and so i just went to the sporting goods store there was right there and there's a little i bought a little one so i can travel with it but there's a big one too and it's amazing it's amazing it's like put it's like and it just stays there it's a silicone spray it's the best thing it's so awesome guys everyone get it skin slick
0: <laughs> done yeah. like, tr- yeah. truly totally done like totally
2: done Um, You also talked
0: about hair removal, which is something we get a lot of questions about.
2: Oh, yes. My favorite topic
0: ever. Go on.
2: (laughs) Well, as I mentioned, I'm Iranian. (laughs) So that's like comes complete with a lot of hair. And, um, you know, I've had a hair removal journey my whole life. Like when I when I was in middle school, when I started getting hair on my legs, my mom Didn't want me to shave, and so she she was like, "Uh, "You can't shave, but I'll start waxing your legs." So she started waxing my legs when I was like twelve, which was also like awkward because there's all that awkward period where you're really hairy in between, you know. So I was I definitely have always, and then and then there was like definitely hair on my face as a young teenager, like and that it's funny because I was just looking at um some pictures of my freshman year of college and I was like, whoa, there's a serious mustache going on. And so, and so, which also like, if you're okay with that, if it doesn't bother you, leave it. But like, and I had no idea, like I was too naive to notice. So I thought, God bless me. But now I'm like, probably too self um, freaked out about that. So I did get to a place where I, I, I did all the different things. I did waxing. I did. And then maybe 10 or so years ago, I, there was a, like a, it was called Sonamed Med Spa and there were radio ads all over the Bay Area for this, like Sonamed Med Spa laser removal. And, and so I saved up my precious cooking dollars, you know, making like $14 an hour or whatever and did a, I don't, can't remember, like a six part series of getting my lip and chair, chin hair, hairs removed, except it kind of, I think it was the early era of laser machines and it, i I have fairly darkish I have olive skin, and I think those laser machines really at that point were all about a really great contrast between the skin and the hair color, yeah, so for me, it didn't work, and it actually backfired, and I ended up getting more hair than I had oh, before, which was terrifying <laughs> so, then, so then I just entered an age of like. Great Despair and a lot of those Sally Hansen, like sticks, those little strips that you heat up between your hand fingers, oh, yeah. you know.
0: I've done those. And I
2: had a lot of that, which also then would like every time I'd get pimples. So it was always like, do I want to break out or do I want to be hairy? Oh, man. It was so I'm getting like stressed out just thinking about it. And then, <laughs> and then I sort of had just sort of, I don't know, then I tried. To, I was like tweezing. I don't think I ever shaved it. I think I always lived in fear of shaving it. Oh, then I tried electrolysis, which worked fine, but it's so painful and so slow, and I have so much hair, and it's one hair at a time, and it's just so, so, so painful. So that was okay, and that definitely abated things for a while. I probably did it for like a year every week or every other week, and that like... It got rid of the um, bridge between my. Two, it made my eyebrows from one eyebrow to two. So that one, thank, I'm thankful for that. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, one day I I was um, getting a facial. What may have been my first facial ever. I don't even know what prompted me to get it from this delightful woman in Brooklyn um, named Carrie Lindsay and she uses all natural stuff. And she was like, she was sort of looking at my skin and she was like, you have really sensitive skin and also like the hair causes it to be sensitive. And I said, and she said, have you ever thought about laser hair removal? And I was like, I did. And it was really bad. And she said, you should try again because the machines have come a long way. So I came home and Googled, I was like, I wonder if like black women can get, cause I was like, if black mm-hmm. women can get laser hair removal, then like I'm, Like a piece of pie, you know? (laughs) And so I found in Oakland this amazing woman who had gotten like all these incredible reviews who had a pretty modern machine and worked primarily with black women. And so I went in, she was like, Yeah, no problem. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And in like six months, she got rid of all of my chin hairs. And like, Yeah. And then I was like, Okay, cool. Let's do the mustache too. And one day, if I ever have like a million dollars, I'm just going to like have her do like head to toe, you know?
1: Samin, I have just one more question for you. The The house and the kitchen from the last episode of your show, is that your Not house? My house. <laughs>
2: okay, because I was like... <laughs> I, yeah, no, I wish. And it was really funny because my apartment, I live in a little apartment. I've lived here for 10 years and... I have tricked out this kitchen so well, like I can get a lot done. But the kitchen in my apartment is smaller than my bathroom. It's not big. Oh, wow. And I really wanted us to film in here because I love that it's, you know, it's just, it's like a Frigidaire oven. It's the one that like is the cheapest one at Home Depot, you know, <laughs> that like every apartment has. Oh, yes. And, um, and there's nothing very fancy. Like I think of this kitchen as small but mighty, but there's nothing you know, extraordinary about it, but I love that you don't need fancy stuff to make good food. And that was a message that's really important to me. And I really wanted it in the show. And we actually tried, we did a test shoot in here to see if we could do it, but the space is just too small. And like the camera people couldn't actually even fit in here. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so we, I like, it was really sad for me, but we had to rent a house. So I found that house, which is so beautiful but I was really anxious the whole time uh, that people would think that I live in that house and that you need this fancy thing. And so, um, the whole time we were filming, I was making jokes. I was like, "If this were my house, you know," or like. <laughs> and then the director at one point was like, "You have to stop making jokes." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, promise me you'll convey to people in some way that I don't live there because it's just so fancy, it's so nice, you know." It's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's so nice, and it's really funny because the people, the company that makes those beautiful stoves, it's called Blue Star. And they wrote me and they were like, we're so excited you have our stove. (laughs) And and I was like, no, no, (laughs) maybe one day. I was like, I was like, I think people have a really, really like a misconception, a very intense one about like how much money. A documentary host makes. <laughs> <laughs> it, and so, yeah, not is, enough to have a blue star stove. Yeah. If there is
0: something, <laughs> though, that people should put, like, have in their kitchen, it doesn't need to be fancy or expensive, but what are, like, your three cooking items or the three things you think people kind of
2: need? Just... Oh, yeah. I think, okay, so one thing that's pretty frustrating, like, for anybody and for me, when I go to somebody's house and they, don't, they say they don't like to cook and I go in their kitchen, I'm like, oh, you don't even have a good knife. And so if you have a good knife that is sharp and can be sharpened, I think that makes a huge difference. So, And it doesn't have to be expensive. There's a brand I really like called Forschner Victorinox, which is the same company that makes Swiss Army knives. And they, um, they have really beautiful, like, wooden-handled knives. They have chef knives that are, like most people, probably a, an 8-inch knife a chef's chef's knife would be plenty would be really, really great. And I think they cost maybe $40, you know, and so it's a great investment. I have a bunch of those Forchner knives that I've had since I started cooking, they last forever. And you don't need something fancy, you just need something that works. So that's one. (laughs) And then I also think everyone should have probably a really great pan and to me it's pretty hard to beat a cast iron pan. Mm. Um and you can buy like lodge cast iron pans that come pre seasoned off of the internet or at hardware stores often have them or like Bad Bath and Beyond has them and they're not that expensive. But um what I like to do and it's also not that expensive is look at flea markets And, and yeah, vintage stores and stuff. And you can, or even just like thrift stores and you can often find, um, the old timey brands. There's two American brands. I'm going to forget their names. One starts with a W that, um, of the original sort of cast iron makers, Um, Wagner, there's Wagner and and another one I can't remember right now, but I'll tell you later. (laughs) And those, the, the, I don't think they're being made anymore but they're just—they have a slightly different texture on the inside. They're smoother, and one of the things about like smoothness and why people are obsessed with the seasoning on their cast iron pan or whatever, is that the smoother it is, the more nonstick it is. Yeah. And in fact, like that's why Teflon is the smooth—you know—is considered nonstick, is this—it's the smoothest there is. But if you take good care of a nonstick of a cast iron, and you—and in fact, if you start with one of these old ones. Um, They'll, they'll basically work as well as, a non, as you know, you can fry an egg in it and it won't stick. It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. And I think those are really awesome because you can do a lot with them. Like, you can put them in the oven. You can Great. use them on the stove. Yeah. You can cook them over a campfire and they're indestructible. And there is a lot of sort of like legends and mythology about like making your cast iron rusty or don't wash it. But they're pretty durable. Oh, <laughs> and you, can, you can put water on it. You can even put soap on it once it's fully sealed seasoned oh. i i just use like a stainless steel scrubby to clean mine and then i always um dry it off by putting it back on the heat for a minute oh. but i think i think if you can get comfortable using one it's 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 a really awesome thing because usually like i'll start my roast chicken on the stove like i'll brown it a little bit and then and then i'll just throw the whole pan in the oven and it's this wonderful thing where it's just a one pan you can have a whole one pan dinner in the a And then my third item, I don't know, maybe I think something people don't really have a lot of, which would be helpful, and they don't have to be expensive, is um, like a stack of stainless steel mixing bowls. I think having bowls that are big enough, it's often like really frustrating if you're trying to mix something (laughs) and you're trying to make something big and uh, you have to make it in a little bowl. You want to have enough space. Yeah,
0: a big bowl.
2: Yeah, Yeah. just get some bowls.
0: (laughs) Bowls, cast iron. Affordable knife. knife.
2: Oh, let me add one small force thing. Sorry. I just remembered. <laughs> Which is my favorite baking sheets in like kitchen parlance and rest in restaurants are called half sheet pans. But they're just like those really not fancy aluminum baking sheet baking pans. And I find them to be superior to any fancy kind of like thing that you can buy at a cookware store. And they're they're just they're so useful. I use them to roast all my vegetables. I use them even when I roast like a Turkey, I do it on that because I don't like a really high side on things that I roast because I want it to Brown evenly. Mm. So I, am I think a lot of the like restaurant supply store, um, or even like Costco is a great place. I know, Kate, you love it. Have just seen I, I have a really good story, up. actually, about, about Costco. Costco. Costco has this funny brand right now. I don't know. They've had it for a few years. I think it must be a brand that's just made to be sold at Costco because I've never seen it anywhere else. I think it's called Tramontina or something. And it's there, it's like, um, restaurant level stuff that they sell there. And often it comes in like way too much for one person or a small household. So one time I was standing in the aisle, <laughs> like eyeballing a nonstick pan. Cause I do have a nonstick pan. I get, I get a new one every year and I replace it in case the Teflon scratches. Cause there are a few things it's nice to have a nonstick for, but, um, But I, I was standing there and it came in a two pack and I was like, I really don't need two. And I just waited. And and then eventually another lady came up (laughs) and we made a pact and then we like bought, bought the two pack and then like divided it. what a moment. (laughs) What Costco moment. A Costco moment. It was a total Costco moment. It was awesome. you you can get those, um, you can get those half sheet pans at Costco too.
0: And you recommended their uh, olive oil.
2: Yeah, oh man, yeah. The Costco organic olive oil, the Kirkland organic olive oil that's made in Italy is super delicious. It's super inexpensive and on like some of there there's an annual sort of rating of olive oils that that's a, it's like a blind testing done by this um olive oil organization in California and that one consistently rates really really high and really some usually it's like the highest one at the list for for Widely available olive oils, it's really, really clean and tastes really good. And it's like, yeah, clean of impurities. It's I I think I don't yeah I don't use quite enough olive oil to justify me buying one of those. But but I think anyone who's more than one person at home makes sense to have that. Or just make a friend and divide it into two. (laughs) No, meet me the olive oil at Costco,
0: friend. Well, this has been the most delightful experience Truly. of my life.
2: Oh, I, I, just, I feel like I'm talking to my old friends. Oh, <laughs> likewise. Oh my gosh, you guys are the best. You really have been very soothing to me in in a really crazy... It's just like... When I have you on in the background, I just feel like my friends are there. And it's so nice. Just chit-chatting. Just chit-chatting. Look, but you have to know
0: that is the same. That is your vibe. Yeah. You're the most soothing human I've ever encountered in the written word or on TV. (laughs) I brought your cookbook to bed and read it like a is a bedtime book. I'm not joking. And I don't bring cookbooks into the bedroom.
2: Oh, thank you. Truly, the well, coziness.
0: We just are connecting across the airways. Here. I mean, have a restorative yeah. few
2: weeks. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also, Dory, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Oh, thank I'm you so excited. much. Thank you. It's so awesome. It's so, so awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, before yeah. we but before we depart, Samin, where can when you are engaging on the internet or the television? Where can our listeners find you?
2: Oh yeah. Um, well, the show Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat is on Netflix, and um, otherwise you can find me on the internet at ciao Samin, like ciao as in ciao, see you later in Italy. So C I A O S A M I N.
0: We'll do it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Take care. Okay.
0: Bye.
1: <laughs> Kate, I feel like <sighs> I know how your intention last week went because I've been seeing you post about it on social media. <sighs> I've been trying. And I'm really into it. <sighs> your intention was to write.
0: Yeah, I did a little bit more. I am keeping track of my word count in a Google Doc. <sighs> hmm. Um, so that I can see my progress. Yes. No matter how small, how slow progress is progress. So um, it's going. That's great. How is starting the purge for real this time? Well, going? we did actually start the purge, or at least I started the purge.
1: It's still in the early stages, but it has been
0: started. And does it is it, does it feel good? Or is that kind of phase? where is it in that space where you've like cluttered your house with a bunch of stuff? And now you're You know, that feeling in the mid of a purge?
1: Well, so that was kind of the state that my office was in. Matt was like, oh, and then I kind of tidied it up. Um, But I did some stuff in my office. I did some stuff in the living room. You know, we definitely suffer from the thing where like, oh, there's a table here. This could be a repository for a million pieces of paper. Oh, we do,
0: too.
1: (laughs) Um, We do, too. So I was trying to like clean all that stuff up. Um, and I'm going to start on my clothes this weekend. I feel like I'm constantly purging my
0: clothes, but somehow there's still more to purge. I I can't, it shocks me every time because every time you do a new purge, cool new clothes come out.
1: (laughs) Well, that, I mean, when you watch the Marie Kondo show, like people do
0: have a lot of clothes. Oh yeah. I am. Well, I, as I told you, Tori, I have tried to set a rule for myself this year where I buy no new clothes and it's very interesting in the four days of January since I've started it or the few days of January since I've started it, I want to buy so many things. It's so, been
1: a little easier for me being pregnant because so yes, much is like off limits for yes. me. Um, so anyway,
0: what about this week? This week for me, I am just trying to rest. I have felt mm. really exhausted. I think I kind of crashed after the holidays Yeah. Um, and I have been going to bed earlier I've just kind of been taking it easy, and it's gonna get a little crazy when my kids head back to school. Um, but I'm just gonna try to keep getting the rest that I need. Listen to your body. I really am trying. I, I, I am. It's hard because yeah. I do get into that like wired, want to stay awake space. But I've been kind of falling asleep around 10:30 every night, which is oh, early. Good. It's early for me. Good. How about you? Are you gonna keep the purge? Well,
1: yeah. My my intention this week is also purge related. Um, you know, I love selling stuff. <laughs>
0: Listen, our Poshmark advertisement uh, it's is
1: very authentic. It is Dory at her Doriest. I do know. Um, but part of the problem with that is sometimes I will keep stuff around because I'm like, oh, I'll just sell this. I'll be able to sell this. And then I end up with like a pile of stuff that I'm like waiting to sell or that I've like taken pictures of and posted and it hasn't sold, but I'm waiting and you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm finally like, oh, this is just another way of me holding on to stuff.
0: Interesting. Look at you psychoanalyzing Mm -hmm. yourself. Good
1: work. Because a lot of the stuff is like, quote unquote, too nice to just donate. So I'm like, oh, I should sell it. You know, and sometimes it sells right away, but it's also like, you know, selling stuff is a, like, it's a bit of work. Like you yeah. have to photograph everything, you have to write a description, you have to ship it. Like it's, you know, it's not, it's time. Yeah, it is time. And so I want to just kind of get back to the place where I was okay with donating stuff. I You know, I don't like donating to Goodwill um, or the Salvation Army for various Political reasons, uh, but there is a council for Jewish women. <laughs> that's your go-to near spot, me, and so I will donate there. And I need to just kind of like be at peace with that. Yeah, and let set, them go. Uh, yeah, so I'm. That's going to be my next kind of phase.
0: That is hard. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. That Especially
1: you... because I like selling stuff. I know.
0: I think there's like a um, kind a of competitive edge to it. But it's sad. Satis- there's something about it that's satisfying. It's very satisfying.
1: You. And you know what else? It is. I do. Like the idea of like my stuff getting a second life with someone who even if I don't know them personally, it's like, I know them on Instagram, yeah. or, you know, it's not just like dropping some stuff off, hoping that they resell it. Like I, I have a very personal you know, I get a very personal satisfaction out of it.
0: That's so cool. So
1: I don't want to like completely get rid of that feeling, but I also need to be like a little more realistic. There's a
0: pile of stuff in the corner of my bedroom that. Well, and like you do have this, the challenge of the fact that there is kind of a deadline of like a, a big change coming for you. So you do have a limited, it can't just sit there for the next year. Totally. Well, well. That brings us to the end. Dory. We have a voicemail. We do. 781-591-0390. Call us about anything. Literally. Anything and everything. We love your voicemails. And also email us about anything and everything at forever35podcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast. The password is serums. And if you like the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. And if you really like us... Give us a little shout out on the social meds platform of your choice.
1: <laughs> and remember that everything we mention, including products, including recipes, are always on our website, Forever35Podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Forever35 Podcast and on Twitter at Forever35 Pod. And Forever35 is hosted and produced by Doris Freer, that's me, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And we have assistance from Lane Hammer. Have a fantastic
0: week. Goodbye. TikTok goes the baby clock.